She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files podcast. Episode 3. Squeeze. Production note, everybody. I forgot to plug my mic in for this episode. So. Yeah, sorry. it it happens. It's okay. <laughs> you've, yeah. got, you've got a lot going on and then you're trying to set up real quick and I can totally see how that happened. So, anyway. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, guys. You can still hear him. It's not like there's no audio. It just might not sound as good as his normal mic audio. So we apologize. So like we said, this is the third episode of the series. It's called Squeeze, and it was written by Glenn Morgan and James Wong. The first episode not written by Chris Carter. Right. And Morgan and Wong will become a really popular writing team for the X-Files. So this is exciting. Okay. And then it was directed by Harry Longstreet. Once again, filmed in Vancouver, British Columbia, but it was actually filmed before Deep Throat. This one was filmed July 20th through 28th, whereas Deep Throat was filmed in August. So, Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. And it originally aired on September 24th, 1993. And it had a viewership of 11.1 million in the United States. So it actually had the same viewership as Deep Throat. Nice. Keeping yeah. those viewers. Yeah. That's always a good thing to do if you want to actually keep a TV show. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, they, however, did not keep the director because Longstreet was actually replaced. Apparently, he didn't film everything he was supposed to and then oh, no. like quit. And uh, I don't know if he quit, but like he said, I was done and then but didn't film some of the stuff that was on like the filming list. Oh, wow. And apparently, like the casting crew kind of like didn't really get along with him. There was some stuff. So Wong and Michael Cattleman actually finished it in post-production. They didn't specify what scene was missing that he didn't film. But I guess they filmed the missing scene and then did some like coverage shots to fill in some gaps and that kind of thing. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So this is obviously the only episode that Longstreet directs. Yeah, I can imagine. If you're not going to finish the job, I can't imagine they're going to call you back and be like, hey, yeah. come do another one. <laughs> but why? Why not? I don't understand. Why won't you hire me? Yeah, I don't know. So according to The Truth is Out There, the official guide to The X-Files by Brian Lowry, Glenn Morgan and James Wong drew some inspiration from Jack the Ripper, but also there was a large ventilation shaft outside their office, and it, I guess it kind of freaked them out, and apparently one night they were working, and they're like, what if we were working late, and someone just came through that thing? And so that kind of kicked off their inspiration for this episode. Yeah. Yeah, I also saw that apparently they came up with the idea of, uh, we're going to get into it, but I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. They came up with the idea of the main character taking people's livers because Chris Carter had had some foie gras. And so he was like, oh, eating livers. They don't mention it, but there's got to be some inspiration from like Silence of the Lambs too and Hannibal Lecter. Oh, absolutely. With, with yeah. The stuff. Yeah. I also noticed, I mean, and I, and I had read that other people noticed it. The, there's some heavy-duty parallels with the Kolchak TV movie, The Night Strangler, mm -hmm. with just like the recurring billing coming back over like a span of years. And then again, that gets into like the Jack the Ripper stuff. But I also noticed personally a lot of cinematography cues that came from or very reminiscent of, and this wouldn't be surprising because Chris Carter is, was a fan of the TV movie, of The Night Stalker, the first Kolchak movie. Especially shots with like Toombs' eyes. It's very, the whole episode itself has got a lot of 
I think, cinematic cues to that first Night Stalker movie. Oh, so. Yeah, I've never seen it, but that's cool. Oh, we're going to have to do that. <laughs> yeah, we are going to have we are going to have to fix that. All right. Yes. Yeah. I'm down. And I guess we should also mention that this is the first of what they call the Monster of the Week episodes. Yeah, it's the first like non UFO story, and it's also the first Monster of the Week. And I think part of that was Fox wanted a non UFO story because they had done two yeah. of those in a row, and so Fox is like, "Give us something else now." These are the X Files, not the UFO files. Yeah, I was saying Chris Carter was had kind of expressed the fact that he realized that if the series was going to continue, that they couldn't just always focus on UFOs, right? And to be honest, I think this, like we talked a little bit about last episode, how I really didn't, I really didn't care for Deep Throat. Like the opening scene and well, maybe not the opening scene, but like the introduction of Deep Throat himself and then the closer with Deep Throat and Mulder, like those are scenes that need to exist because they need, that's how they brought that character in. But I almost feel like that episode could just not exist aside from those two parts. Whereas this episode, Got that same feel the pilot had. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a very superior episode to the second episode, in my opinion. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> yeah. So let's so I talk guess, about uh, it. <laughs> yeah, so let's do it. Let's jump in here. I've got a lot of stuff to say. I'm really excited to talk about this one because after I watched it, I was like, oh my gosh, I want to talk to somebody about this. So <laughs> No, this, this is, is like I said, this is a really good episode. I don't know if I would say it's better than the pilot. It's because I don't think this one can stand alone because you don't get all that character introduction with Scully and Mulder. But I think it's definitely like, in my opinion, especially since it was, I don't know if they filmed anything else out of sequence, but since this one was filmed before episode two, I think they should have made this one episode two. I think this would have been a far superior second episode as opposed to Deep Throat. Yeah. All right, let's do it. All right. So just a quick synopsis of the episode. So after a series of murders that happen in closed rooms with no known point of entry, where the victim's livers are torn out, Scully's old friend from the academy who's working on the case kind of asks her for help. So she tells Mulder about it, and he pulls out an X-Files about a series of really similar murders from 60 years ago, and then another from 30 years ago. And also, I guess there was one in 1903 that was really similar, which would be 90 years ago. So Mulder is convinced it's one perpetrator and the episode is them trying to figure out what's going on. And then the other FBI guys kind of mock Mulder for being out there. Yeah. Cause there's probably aliens. <laughs> there are probably aliens. Yes. But not in this episode. Yeah. So yeah. And uh, we talked about it last time too, about the, um, the lack of like time stamping of the episode, how like the pilot was March, 1992 and then I had mentioned that, oh, it was probably a good idea if you're doing a series to start not be mentioning dates. Where here, we actually do get some date mentions. We get, it's every 30 years. And so if it's, 90, it's 1903, it's 1933, it's 1963. It's obviously 1993. We get mentions of the World Trade bombing, which was 1993. And then we also get a mention later that um, if they don't catch him, they won't be able to get another chance until 2023. Right. So we do get some stamping of this definitely is... 1993 yeah and based on what happens at one part i'm gonna guess possibly towards the beginning of 93 or towards the end of 93 just based on some fireplace action that we get oh yeah so, yeah so where are they going to in this episode we've been to oregon <laughs> we've been to idaho where are we going so this one opens in baltimore maryland and okay. there is a businessman walking down the street he like leaves a building and he's jangling his keys and he's just kind of walking down the street 
and we see a shot of a storm drain and the guy's just walking along and then we see these really creepy glowy yellow eyes from under the storm drain Ooh, it's um it right? yeah a little red balloon sticking out no yeah there's like a clown down there and yeah oh. it's whole party cool <laughs> so the man gets back to his office and it's clearly like eight eight o'clock nine o'clock like it's late and the office is closed there's no one else there and he calls his wife and he says hey my meeting didn't go well i'm gonna work late and then he gets up to get coffee which is super hashtag relatable <laughs> because <laughs> um, you know coffee's amazing and then we see the screws on the narrow air vent in his office kind of twist open while he's outside getting coffee okay that's kind of creepy creepy and also i'm gonna have to say a very television slash movie trope because that seems like that would be really hard to do yeah yeah unless you had like some needle nose pliers or something and even then because like Sometimes it's hard enough putting a screw in, never mind from like the backside where there's no the grip. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. So he gets his coffee, he goes back into his office, and the door just like slams shut behind him and he's attacked. And then we get a shot of the office with just blood everywhere. And we kind of see his body in a reflection. We don't get a good look at it, but we can like kind of see he's obviously dead. And then we see the vent kind of close yeah. again. And then the screw just screws back in. Ooh, dun, dun, dun. theme song and then we get the music but so does it like when when he's like when the door closes he's like attacked and then doesn't like the door like get cracked and stuff like he's thrown against it or something like the door yeah i think so like, like he's obviously like the point. attack is clearly really violent like yeah. it's there's blood everywhere like yeah. things are knocked over it's definitely not it was a pretty vicious attack we just don't see a lot of it right okay so then we get the standard opening, which we talked about yep. last time. X-Files opening, the theme song. Um, we will find out later that that scene of Moldy and Skulder breaking into a room in the opening yes, is. credits is actually from this episode. Another clue that this was filmed <laughs> before episode two. So Baltimore, Maryland, not too far away from D.C. So they're, I guess they're not going to be flying anywhere this time. Okay. So then we end up back in D.C. and Scully's having lunch with some yeah, dude. Yeah, he's her friend Tom Colton. Yeah. And he, I think he went to the Academy with her. I think that's where they know each other from. Yeah, and he's played by uh, Donald Logue, who always reminds me, like, he was he was in a lot of stuff in the 90s. He was a pretty popular actor. But every time I see him, I always think he's a Quaid at first. Yeah. I don't know why. It's just something. I think he, he's kind of got that quaid look to him. Yeah, I can but. see that. Like, he definitely has that. He does kind of look like a, like a cousin of Dennis Quaid. Like, I can see that. Yeah. Anyway, so he went to the Academy with Scully. So they're friends. Yeah. And so they're like sitting, having lunch and like talking about their jobs. And he kind of ribs her a little about working with the X-Files. He kind of teases her. And then he's talking about his stuff and he's mm -hmm. on the violent crimes division. And he's dealing with a serial killer case that has three victims so far. And he kind of mentions that like there's no points of entry and all the victims have had their livers removed, but not by cutting them out. What well, looks like they've just been like torn out with bare hands. Yeah. Which is so that's some effort right there. Like yeah, tearing open a body and removing an organ with your fingers. That's definitely some work. Yeah. So Scully says like, Oh, this sounds like it might be an X file. Yeah, and then Colton is immediately like, no, 
Like he yeah. just shuts that down. He's like, nope, <laughs> this is not an X file. I'm gonna solve this. Mm. Yeah, because he's very much because they're having a discussion about someone else they went to the academy with just recently got like a big promotion. And he's very much about moving up, basically like by any means necessary. He wants yeah. to get the he's interested in like I'm getting up that ladder and this case may do it for me. So Right. He's clearly ambitious. But he also wants Scully's help. Like he does ask her to come take a look. And so he's clearly I don't it's kind of like I think he's half like throwing her a lifeline because he knows she's stuck in the X Files. Yeah. And then he also probably just wants her opinion because he knows she's super smart. Yeah, and we'll get into it later, but there's a lot of, like, possessiveness about Scully in this episode. About, like, yeah. maybe who she belongs to and and men trying to help her with her career. And she's like, I can take care of myself. Thank you very much. But, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, but yeah, we'll get into that. So, yeah, so she's like, okay, cool. We'll help. And then we end up in the office of George Usher, who was the victim and i just realized i was actually going to make the joke when i made the joke about it in the gutter that george you should watch out and his name is actually george so yeah. i guess i would have been good at doing that but oh well yeah, i wonder if that's on purpose if they named him george oh yeah i guess so because yeah that would have been 93 so yeah because stephen king wrote that on even the, the movie with tim curry would have been out before this so yeah. right yeah so uh scully and Mulder show up at the crime scene and Mulder's like, well, how come they didn't ask me to come? Like, why didn't they ask me to help instead of just asking you? And she kind of was like, well, we're friends. And so, you know, I think he just came to me because he felt more comfortable about it. So, right. Yeah. And then this is actually, I think it is my favorite scene in the whole show so far. It is. I love it so much. It's like, okay. it is just the best. Because like Colton comes in and he's late and he meets Mulder. And then he's kind of a dick. And yeah. he's like... He makes some comment about like, like I forget how what he's what Mulder says, but then he's like Colton's like, oh, so it's little green men, right. and like just totally deadpan without missing a beat. Mulder goes gray, and yeah. he's like, what? And he's like, reticulin skin is gray, and, <laughs> and like just goes off on like the reticulin, like these aliens, and he just totally yeah. says it how straight they have, face. How they have like an iron deficiency? Everyone knows they have an iron deficiency, and so they, right. course, they would of course be after livers. Why, you know, and why liver you and onions like, goes for a yeah. whatever on reticulant, yeah. and the other guy's face is just like, is he serious? Like he can't tell that Mulder's just messing with him. And Mulder's face afterward, he just has this like look on it, like this smirk, like he's so proud of himself. Mm -hmm. And this dude is just like, what the crap? Like what's going on? So I thought that was amazing, and I love it. Yeah, I, oh, that, so yeah I was I was like what <laughs> what is I was at first I was like what what about this scene like Mulder like does some investigative stuff that apparently no one else was able to do but I was trying to figure out what it was but yeah I for, totally forgot about the little no he just pan. totally messes with him and then Scully's yeah. standing there the whole time looking like she just made some bad life choices yeah so it's a really great scene I really like that yeah that will be a I want to say recurring but almost an increasingly themed um, aspect of Colton <laughs> that he becomes more and more of a dick as the episode goes along. Yeah, he um, really does. Yeah, but but that kind of plays into some other themes in the episode too that I think that we'll just talk about. But yeah, so mold like everyone else is there. You know, they're looking in the office, and Mulder finds some very small like metal shavings on the ground because there's like there's like papers and shit everywhere, turned over coffee cups. Like there was some hardcore stuff going on in this office, right? Because there's just stuff everywhere. And Mulder finds some metal 
shavings on a piece of paper on the floor. He picks them up with some, I believe it was some tweezers, because you wouldn't want to just grab that kind of stuff with your hands, but maybe he does, because he does do that later in the episode, just like grabs evidence, but picks it up and sets it down, and then looks up and sees a vent. So he grabs the fingerprint kit, dusts the vent, and he finds a fingerprint on the vent. Right, and it's super elongated and super creepy looking. Yeah. And Colton over there is back there going, no one could get through that vent. Like, that's ridiculous. What yeah, it's are you like, doing? What does he say? It's like, it's like 18 inches. There's no way anyone can fit through there. So then we head back to the X-Files office in D.C. And Mulder is looking at a bunch of files. Yeah, and so he's got a bunch of files for murders that happened in 1933 at Powhatan Mill. And later in 1963, okay. and he's got all these fingerprints out that kind of like really old fingerprints. And yeah. so, and Scully's like, that's not possible. That can't happen. And he's like, well, and there's even a case like there wasn't really fingerprint technology in 1903, but there is a case of a murder where someone had their liver removed from 1903. Right. And so basically every 30 years, there's a group of five murders mm-hmm. where the victim has her liver removed, and like as far as we can tell, there's no known point of entry. Right. And so obviously there are three down this year, which would make two remaining. Right, and Scully's like, so it's got to be a copycat. And Mulder's like, ah, I think it's actually the same person, because based on these prints, it's got to be the same person. She's like, well, you know, Violent Crimes doesn't really want you working on this thing. And like Mulder's like, well, we can do our own investigation. We don't need them. We had the X-File first. That's true. Yeah. So he, in a way, he's almost not claiming it because she's like, like this is their case, and they 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 aren't comfortable with you working on it. And he's like, well, we have X file cases that predate this case, so in a way, we could be investigating it ourselves. Right. So let's do that. Let's have our own investigation. And so Scully's still kind of working with violent crimes, and so she types up and presents a profile of the killer to their department, and she suggests that. They don't know where he's going to strike next, but serial killers like him usually come back to the scene of the crime when they have trouble finding a victim. So they should do a stakeout on the previous crime scenes and try to find out or and basically hope he comes back to one of them and then they can nab him. Yeah. And in this meeting, I should say there is a lot of maybe not direct misogyny, but very like bro culture of like because they're they're mocking Mulder and in a way, therefore, like maybe like like they acknowledge that she is capable but almost diminishing her because she's working with him kind of thing going on oh yeah yeah like really subtle digs and then they're like oh you're a bit more down to earth or whatever and she looks really not happy about it at all so because they're they're it's basically a room full of dicks is what it is right they're being super big jerks yeah so they decide to make the stakeout and so Gully's in her car in the parking garage of the office building where George Usher worked. And she's talking on the radio to one of them. And then she hears something. So she gets out of the car and pulls her gun. And Mulder jumps out and scares (laughs) her. And I'm like, dude, you're going to get shot. What are you doing? Right. Yeah, it's not the smartest. And like, he just kind of like walks up and he's holding a bag of sunflower seeds. And he's just like, hanging out mm-hmm. and it's like what are you even doing here and so and then he's like okay well this is a waste of time i'm gonna leave and like it's like why did you even come by like yeah what, what because he's doing? like he's not gonna return like this is not like Mulder's not official profile is that 
there's no challenge here anymore. Right. That he's already like beaten this building and gotten in. So why would the killer come back? Like he doesn't yeah. have a reason to. But then as Mulder's walking out, he sees this big like air duct HVAC system and he notices something moving in one of the ducts. So he like runs to Scully and he's like, hey, call for backup. And they run over there and Scully calls for backup and they apprehend a guy who's coming out of the ducts. Yeah. Strangely. So they get him and they arrest him and they're questioning him with a lie detector with a polygraph test. But he's already like in a prison orange jumpsuit. Yeah, that was a little silly because obviously like. I mean, I guess if they arrested and processed him and then took away his clothes for like a county jail or something, I mean, I guess they they could have done that. And I guess they would have had to. But it does seem like a little out of order. Like usually you question before you arrest, but maybe because he was coming out of the duck, they had enough to like arrest him. I don't know. It could also be like a convention. It's got the visual of like he is, you know, in custody. So we're going to put him in, in the orange jumpsuit because that's what people are used to seeing you know, like trials and what have you, but yeah. Yeah. So they start questioning him. Yeah. So there's like a proctor doing the test and she is like reading questions and there's stuff like, have you ever killed an animal? Have you ever killed a person? Are you over a hundred years old? Yeah. <laughs> like Colton's like, that must be a test question. And, and Mulder's like, Nope, I had to mask it. Yep. Yeah. And then also one question, if he's, if he had been in Powhatan mill in 1933 and just, like they start rolling their eyes. Right. And this guy, like, so we didn't say it yet, but he looks like he's like 22. Like he looks so young and baby face that like, he's not even old enough to have been around in 1963 from how he looks. Like he yeah. doesn't even look like he's 30. Never mind. So let alone 1933. Yeah. yeah. That's like a huge stretch. So that's part of why they're like mocking and whatever, but still it's not very yeah. nice. So they finish the test and the proctor declares that he passed it a hundred percent a plus no lies. So he's not the guy they're looking for. So they're talking about letting him go. But Mulder looks at the printout and says he actually has, there's two spikes, one on the question about being a hundred years old and one on the about being at Powhatan mill. And they're like, well, I had a reaction when you asked those dumb questions too. So they kind of get into a little, verbal conflict here and then they decide nope we're releasing tombs and colton tells scully that Mulder isn't just out there that he's insane right and he says it like to scully but Mulder's clearly within like earshot like he's yeah. right there and so yes. he hears it and they're like well we're releasing this guy by the way the suspect's name is eugene victor tombs mm-hmm. and he claims to have been like an hvac service guy and like apparently he pulled like a dead animal out of the HVAC earlier that day and so like he does have a reason for being there maybe not super late at night but he does like have a reason so they at this point like he passed the polygraph he has a valid reason for having been there and so they, they're just gonna let him go yep and then they're walking away and Scully's like why did you even think about adding those questions how did you think that was gonna help anybody like believe you and we kind of get a little humanizing bit of Mulder here because he's like his actual quote is Maybe I run into so many people who are hostile just because they can't open their minds to possibilities that sometimes the need to mess with their heads outweighs the millstone of humiliation. So it's just kind of like, you know, you get tired of being made fun of so much that sometimes it's just easier to 
go back at them than it is to just deal with that. So, right. And, you know, I mean, it is kind of an out there theory, but also they are just like jerks to Mulder pretty much immediately and on site. So, yeah. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. It was definitely a really humanizing moment. And Scully's like, you were acting territory. I mean, she doesn't say that, but she does kind of be like, hey, this is my thing. I'm working with Well, she actually, she actually does say you were acting kind of territorial back there. Oh, did she actually say that? Yeah, she actually said that. And then he totally, wow, 1993 action here, totally violates her personal space <laughs> by like reaching down and putting his hand around her necklace, which is like hanging right between her breasts. Yeah, I did see that. And, <laughs> and it's like, I am, of course I'm territorial because you might not always believe what I'm saying or agree with me, but at least you respect the journey that we're on. You don't, you know, you're not one of those people who can't open their minds. And so he's like, but if you, you know, if you'd rather work with these guys than be with me, like, I get it. Like, it's your career. I don't want to hold you back. Like, that, that's fine. And right. he kind of starts to walk away. And then she's like, mm, you must know something else to be so adamant about this. And I am not going to walk away and not find out what's going on. Right. Like he might be messing with those guys and putting the lie detector questions in, but he's really upset that they're releasing tombs. He's convinced that he's the guy. And Scully knows Mulder as much as he's like, it's aliens. Like he probably has a good reason for believing that this is their dude. Yeah. And and I think that's the thing, too, because like while she may not agree with a lot of the things he might say and a lot of his stuff may seem like out there. She also knows that he doesn't just make wild accusations or doesn't, he wouldn't feel that strong about this. It was just based on a polygraph test. Right. And a gut feeling. Right. So she knows he's got something. So he like basically cuts to the, their office and he's got the computer pulled up and he shows her that like they have Toom's fingerprints now, obviously, because he was arrested. Right. So they booked him. So they got his fingerprints. Yeah. Right. And so he has the ones from the scene that's like all elongated and he stretches tombs out using the computer software. And once it's stretched out, all of a sudden it's an exact match, like 100%. Yeah. So good thing we have computers. I know. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and they're so old. They're so old. <laughs> computers are so old. Oh. Hey, it worked. It did it. It, it like did stretched it perfectly. It did the cool, like the two images merging together and then, Bling, 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 bling. 100% match. It didn't have the little <laughs> bling, 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 bling noise, but yeah, you get the idea. And then we cut to like a like a residential area, and some guy's driving down the street, and he pulls up to his house and gets out of his car, and he walks into his house, and then we get a reverse angle, and we see Toombs's yellow eyes staring at the dude with like a highlight. And this is this is this that kind of scene that's very Night Stalker. Yeah, um, I don't want to spoil it, but like just that the highlight of the eyes. I could so. I haven't seen that sucker, but I could see that because definitely like the eyes glowing in the dark. Mm -hmm. Ooh, it's yeah. And this guy's house, like I have to say, like, I don't know how much money this dude makes. He's got to be some wealthy dude, though, because like his kitchen is huge and he has like these weird etched glass doors and like it's just well, and he's and he's single. Space. Yeah, he's like one guy and the yeah. house is like massive. But I mean, it is basically, I mean, it's a DC suburb. So yeah. the dude's probably got bank. Oh, for sure. 100%. Yeah. But that kitchen was amazing and I want it. Yeah. But Toombs climbs up the chimney with his fingertips. Boom, boom, boom. Climbs up. I do have to say, he grunts a lot for someone who's trying to break into someone's house without letting them know he's breaking into their house. 
He does. He makes like a lot of noise. Yeah, a lot of like funny. But then he gets up to the chimney and he puts his arm in and we again we get a reverse angle from like looking like inside the chimney up it and we see his arm like super stretched down. And then he's we flip back out the outside and he squeezes his body into the whole chimney and he's gone like Santa Claus. And then we cut back inside and the dude has like his little glass of whiskey and whatever. And like mm-hmm. he decides to set a fire. And so you think like, okay, he's going to set a fire and that's going to save his butt because he's going to keep this murderer from coming down the chimney. Yeah. But the fire won't light it. Like he liked, he likes the paper because he's already got it preset, which is why I'm thinking like, it's probably like early spring. Like it's still a little hint of winter in the air maybe. Cause like, why else you'd be lighting a fire? Right. Right. So it's gotta be a little bit chilly maybe. But he's already got it preset. He had the wood in there, had the paper in there. He's got the big match and he's lighting it. And the paper starts to light and then it blow, it goes out. Right. And he's like, what? And so you're like, uh-oh, what's going on? And then he's attacked from behind. So nothing oh, comes out the chimney. Nothing comes out Woo. the chimney. He's attacked from behind and... Bait and switch. He's dead. Yeah, he's, he's super dead. Yeah. And then we're at the scene. And Colton is rather upset. Because they can't find any way the dude got in. And he's like, right now, I will give any theory a shot. <laughs> and then Mulder and Scully walk in. And he's like, any sane theory. I know. I thought that was great. It was such good timing. Mulder yeah. walks in and he's like, mm, <laughs> yeah. wait, I spoke too soon. He gets in Scully's face and asks her, like, whose side is she on? And she says. She says the victims, which good for yeah. her. Because, like, that's exactly whose side she should be on. Yeah, she is on the side of the victim. And then, again, Mulder is, like, the place is full of detectives or FBI agents doing stuff. And Mulder finds another tombs print. And then he also notices that it seems like there's a knickknack missing from the mantelpiece. Because there's, like, some, some, like, dust circles where, like, something has moved. So there's some clean spots where something was probably there. And now something is not there. Right. And so he thinks that Tombs came down the chimney, which makes sense. Yeah. Well, I don't know if he thinks Tombs came down the chimney. Well, but he, well, yeah, okay. But he does find, like, a sooty fingerprint on the chimney, on the the mantle. And then also, like, it looks like something's missing from the mantle. Right. And then we cut back to the offices. And Mulder's sitting at his desk, and Scully walks in, and he found something. Yeah, so he found, like, a census record with Tomb's name that matches the address of the first murder in 1903, I think. Yeah, so, yeah, so it's like a, I'm guessing, like, a like a 1900 census record. Right. But that, but the address on that census record for Eugene Victor Tombs matches the address of the first murder in 1903. It's actually the apartment directly above the apartment that Tombs is listed as living in. Right. So Mulder's like, maybe the dude was loud, which I live in an apartment. I can understand that. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes well, he, your neighbors he, are like dropping he, bowling being, balls on the floor. Yeah, and... he's being jokey about like, <laughs> oh, oh, oh man, 100%. That's he's why not he killed him. Yeah. So Mulder is definitely on like, this is the same dude, right? He's like a hundred and something years old at least. And he's doing these murders. And Scully's like, maybe it's his grandpa. And they just keep raising their kids to be creepy murderers. <laughs> He's like, well, the fingerprints. And she's like, 
well, genetics could maybe explain that. Not really, but okay. Yeah. And, but she's def- definitely trying to, I mean, you can see why. They saw what the dude looks like. And then Mulder saying like, he's the same guy who killed someone in 1903. Right. He does not look like. He does not look like he's 120 possible. or something. In any way. So. Yeah. So um, they're going to start looking for birth certificates, marriage certificates, death certificates, because they have a census, they have a name and they have a census record. So there should be some other records somewhere, whether it be the birth of this dude or the death of this dude. Right. Or ancestors or something. So they start. So Mulder's like microfish makes me seasick. And like, I was like, yeah, that stuff can be. (laughs) But anyway, so they basically, there's like a montage of them, like looking for stuff and, Basically, they come up with almost nothing. Well, they they do come up with nothing for tombs. No birth certificates, no death certificates, no marriage certificates. The guy does not exist except for this census record. And just that only that single census record, too. Right. And but Scully does find the address of one of the investigators from the 1933 murders. Right. So they decide to go pay him a visit to see what he might have to say. So he still lives in Baltimore. So I'm guessing Powhatan Mill probably should look this up. I guess Powhatan Mill is maybe like a suburb of Baltimore or like a residential district of it or something like that. He still lives there. I have to say he doesn't look old enough to have been the detective from 1933, but he's an older dude. Yeah, I was kind of thinking like he must have been like a really young, like 20 year old detective. Well, he does. In their discussion, he does say he retired in 1968 after 45 years of being a police officer. I guess he was a sheriff, actually, a sheriff detective. Right. Which being generous and saying he started being a police officer when he was 18, that would mean he would have had to been born in 1905. Right. And it's 1983. So he would be be 88 years old. He doesn't right, so really look 88 years old. Yeah. He looks like maybe like late 60s, early 70s. But Right. Anyway. But yeah, he could still be alive at least. So that's yes. re- at least believable. Yeah. But yeah, he looks kind of young. Yeah. Well, he's spry. So. Well, not that spry. He's in a wheelchair. And True. Mulder has to open the box for him. But yeah. <laughs> but he looks good for 88. We'll, we'll yeah. just say that. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So they talk to him. And uh, what does he tell him? So he tells him that he was just basically haunted by this murder scene his entire life like it was he walked in and there was just this overwhelming horrible feeling and then the stuff that he saw and obviously i can imagine i've never been to a murder scene but i can't imagine any of them are nice and then you think about someone's body like being ripped open with bare hands to remove an organ i'm pretty sure that's a pretty awful thing to see and he's clearly this has haunted him for years and then apparently in the 1963 murders, he was, he was still a sheriff, a police officer. He didn't retire until 1968. But I guess they would not let him investigate the 1963 murders because he was involved with the 1933s. And they probably had that same thing of like, it can't be the same person. It's been 30 years, right? Right. So he was banned from working on it. But he did some side work. And he collected some evidence officially and unofficially. Which I have to say, the unofficial part is a little creepy because one of the things he collected was a piece of the liver that had been extracted from a person. How what? did he? How did he get that? Okay, yeah. How did he get it, and why did it get left behind? Like that's Tombs doing a really bad job. Like yeah. you're not, or the killer, or whoever. He does then reinforce Mulder's detective work about possibly something missing from the mantle because he says that he took trophies. Yes. 
and that victims' families notice that small things are missing, like a hairbrush here, something like that. So maybe the leftover piece of liver was a trophy that they found? I don't know. I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know how he got the liver in any way, shape, or form. Because if it was evidence, why does he have it? Did he, like, steal it from the police department or what? Yeah, but, I mean, it's been so long. Maybe they were cleaning it out, and he's like, hey, I'm taking this. Snatch it, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But he also has a photo that he took of the the suspect at the time in 1963. Yeah, because he was doing his own surveillance because they wouldn't let him work on it. So he kind of went like outside the forest and did his own surveillance and took a picture. Right. And that picture looks exactly like the dude that they questioned and let go. Right. It looks exactly like Eugene Toombs, not like an uncle or father. It looks like exactly a carbon copy. So. Yeah. And then he has the address that was listed as uh, Toombs' address back then in 63. So apparently Toombs didn't move because he lived there in 1903 because that's the census record that Mulder found. And then he was living there in 1963. And we're going to assume he was there in 33. And we also find out that when they had arrested him in 1993, he gave a fake address. He didn't give the address that they have here. So. Right. Yeah. So they basically didn't have anything. And now this um, this detective, his name is Frank Briggs. So he has this photo and also this address where he knew that the suspect lived at the time. Yeah. So we've got like three levels of confirmation now. We've got the photo that is the same person. We've got the address that is the same. And we also have a confirmation of Mulder thinking that something was taken. Right. Because they say that he collects trophies. Right. So they head to that address, and it is not on the good side of town. No, and it is pretty dilapidated. Like, the windows are blown out. Stuff It's, like, covered, boarded up in places. Yeah, got a little bit of graffiti here and there. Yeah. An extreme, but... So they go in, and it's kind of like a little, like, one room. Like, I guess you would call it, Now you'd probably call it a studio. Back then, I know a lot of places like that, like, they had communal bathrooms. So there's, like, no bathroom. It's just basically just, like, a rectangular room right and it's empty and dilapidated and like the windows are boarded up like you said there's like an old nasty looking mattress up against the wall but that's it and when they walk in they do get like scully does say something about a weird feeling or a bad feeling yeah that is also the scene from the opening where they walk into a room with flashlights yes that, i think it's actually Mulder who says that like he gets that feeling that oh um, yeah maybe that Briggs was talking about yeah but uh yeah so but they don't see anything so they're like what are we gonna do and Mulder peeks around behind that nasty looking blanket, which he just touches, gross, hands, <laughs> and finds a hole in the wall behind it. Right. And then, like, <laughs> Scully, I love her so much because she's just like, all right, cool, let's go down. And she just, like, gets in the hole and starts yeah, climbing. She, like, puts her gun in her pants. Like, like you see, like, the, in the movies, the dudes, like, put it down there, like, just in yeah. the front of their pants. She, like, just sticks the gun in she her just, pants. Because she, she doesn't have a holster, apparently, that she pulled it from to begin with. But she just sticks it in the front of her pants and gets in the ladder and climbs on down. Look, Skelly doesn't have time to waste, okay? They're there. Let's get down there. She does bust out a flashlight, though. So Yeah. yeah. And so they get down there, and it is... It smells bad. It's gross. There's, like, this weird... Like, it looks like the wall... Scully says the wall is rotting, but as they get closer, Mulder's like, no, someone built this. And it looks like a really bad paper mache like just mess yeah it's basically a giant like nest yeah like almost like maybe like a wasp nest or something like that like a like a cocoon sort of 
Yeah. And then they also see a little tiny end table that is covered in things. And Mulder's like, oh, someone's having a garage sale. Yeah. And those things are clearly like he finds the thing that would have fit on the mantle with the same print on the yeah, bottom. Yeah, it's, it's got the same little number. It had like, it had like four feet. That were the little, little like clean spots were on the mantelpiece where dust had kind of settled around it as it sat right. there and soot from the fire, or what have you. And he, he picks, and this is where he just like grabs evidence with his bare hand, grabs it and looks at Mulder, it, and it's on. like, oh look, it's got the same four feet. So this is the same. This must be the thing that he took. Yeah, and then there's other stuff on the table, so it all looks like this is like a little trophy collection. And then they get closer to the paper mache nest, and it just you can tell it reeks. And Scully makes a comment about how it smells bad. It smells like bile, she says. And Mulder has apparently, again, touched stuff. Oh, Mulder. Because then he's like, after she says it's bile, he's like, how do I, what does he say exactly? Like, how do I get this off without acknowledging that I'm scared shitless, basically? And like, flips it off his hand. Wants to keep his cool exterior, but also does not want that stuff on his fingers. Yes. And so he's like, ugh. Like, yeah, trying to fling snot off his hand. Yeah. And then they're like. That's super gross. Yeah, let's get out of here. So they're leaving. And it's super dark and Scully gets caught on something. Right. And first they're like, well, he's not here. And I'm like, you guys barely like, I don't know. It seems like they, they went to one apartment and then the downstairs and then it's like, well, he's not here. So I, they must have looked harder than that. But it just felt like a weird comment to me. Like, oh, we know he's not here yeah. anyway. But he might be coming back. Yeah. And so I mean, I could, I could kind of get it. This is obviously like his like living space. possibly right and so he's not in this general area where he probably would be hanging out so let's leave and we are going to set up a stakeout so they're leaving and like i said scully gets caught on something right and then she gets loose and then the camera kind of pans up and you see like like a hand hanging above her holding her necklace yep so you see yellow glowy eyes yep so he snatched her necklace so she apparently got caught on his fingers Ew. Oh, God. Ew. People all about fingering Scully's necklace. I don't know what the deal is. But, yeah. Ugh. So, they make the stakeout. Um, Mulder's chilling in the car. And then two agents show up to relieve him. And I guess they're Colton's dudes because they're all, whatever, spooky Mulder. Ha, 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 making fun of him again. And he leaves. They're there. And then we see Colton and Scully again in the offices. Right. And Colton is pissed. He's mad that, like... They're using his men for the stakeout, and he's like, I didn't approve this, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, he's so angry about it. And he's like, this is a waste of resources. There's nothing there. That building's old. But I'm just thinking, like, they have all those trophies there. Doesn't anyone want to go check those out and see if they match the descriptions of stuff that was taken? Yeah. Like, I also like the fact that he's all bent out of shape, that she's using his men. Like, this is his case. You can't be using my men. And she's like, well, actually, this is a separate case. And the idea that, like, those dudes are just working overtime on a different case the same way you're having me work overtime on your case. Right. So Yeah. It, the whole thing is, like, he's so angry. But to me, like, it really does bother me because I feel like you have all this evidence. Can't you just at least, yeah. like... Well, and also we get we it. get into the hardcore misogyny here because oh, yeah. then he busts out, like, he's going to make sure that she's off the X-Files. He'll take care of it. He'll save her career. And, yeah, and Scully looks like not impressed at all. Yeah, she's like, I can take care of my own career thing very much. Yeah, and she can. She can take care of herself, buddy. Back off. Yep, and that he's not allowed to cancel the takeout, but apparently he's already done that because he went like to the next level and had them cancel it. 
So she's pissed. She leaves. Right. And he calls Mulder to be like, I canceled your stakeout. Ha ha ha. But Mulder's not home. Right. So. so Mulder shows up. Well, I guess Scully goes home. She does go home and yeah. she tries to call him too. And she's like, well, I guess he went out since we have the night off. And she's like clearly mad that they don't. She is, she's just assuming stakeout. that Mulder knows that the stakeout was canceled. Right. Which we find out later which, he doesn't. But yeah. and she's like, and so we're going to file a complaint, but we'll have to do that in the morning because he can't do this. I'm so upset. But she doesn't really seem that upset. She's very calm and collected for being upset. Yeah, but, I think she's just more aggravated because, like, this is supposed to be her friend. And then he's, like, undermining their investigation for his own sake and his own, like, whatever, his own glory or his own ability yeah, to solve Definitely his own. He, he, even, he even references that. I don't remember if it's in this bit or if it was previous. But he mentioned the fact that, like, he'll do whatever it takes to move up. Right. And she's like, well, then I can't wait for you to fall on your ass. Right. So I don't think she's, like, devastated or anything, but she's clearly, like, aggravated. I was just like, well, she doesn't say it like, I am so angry. She's like, I am so angry. And then, like, puts the phone down, like, gently. But she's going to take a bath. Yeah, she's just going to take a bath and hang out because she's got the night off now. She can do what she wants. she tends, I mean, not that, you know, I mean, bathing is, you should do that every day pretty much, but. We do have a trend now of Scully liking to take baths when things yeah. are not going her some way. Some people like baths. I'm not yeah. one of those people. I don't get it, but some people are into it. Yeah. Power goes out. Can't type on your laptop that apparently doesn't have a battery. Take a bath. Get your stakeout canceled. Take a bath. Hey, you got to do what you love. Yeah. So she's getting ready to take a bath. And uh, we see some yellow eyes outside her house. Ooh, which is like not surprising because he took her necklace, but also, ooh, yeah, oh, so creepy. I remember, like, so the first time I watched this when I was a kid, I remember this whole scene really freaked me out a lot. It didn't really? freak me out as much as time, but I remember. So I think just seeing it again, like, I kind of had that visceral reaction of like, oh, this is terrifying. Even though now it wasn't as scary. Yeah. So, yeah, it did freak me out the first time I saw it, though, and I had it kind of burned into my brain. So, yeah, so she's going from room to room, like, you know, just like getting her all her stuff ready for a bath. She's got the water running, and I think she takes off some jewelry or something like that. And she comes back, and she's like, I think she's starting to unbutton her cuffs of her shirt, right? She's starting to get undressed. So she's like undoing her cufflinks or something like that. And some yellow, gross stuff like falls on her. Yeah, from the vent in her, like, her bathroom ceiling vent. Yeah. And she immediately knows what it is. And so she, like, runs out of the bathroom, goes for her gun. Mm-hmm. And then starts, like, room to room checking her house. Right. And then she kind of creeps towards the bathroom and something reaches through a vent on the floor and grabs her leg and pulls her down. Yeah, because she has checked out all the vents. She's looked at them and they all seem okay. And then she turns around and Boom! evil Mr. Fantastic shoots out and grabs her leg. Yeah. So she's on the floor, they're grappling, and then we cut to Mulder who is now arriving for his shift of the stakeout in front of Tomb's apartment. And he's like, where is everybody? What's going on? Right. And then he realizes what's going on and he runs back into the building, apparently goes down the ladder and everything, is at the trophy table and he sees Scully's necklace. Right. And he is just like, oh, crap. Yep. And then, and, we, then- <laughs> and then we cut back to Scully. She's fighting. Tombs shoots out of the vent totally. They're wrestling. He gets her on the floor. She's fighting back kind of. She gets a couple good punches in that kind of thing. 
And he, yeah, he's definitely having more trouble with her than he did with like the dude he attacked in the office. Yeah, but he, so. he does manage to get her hands up over her head. He holds them with one hand and then he pulls back, straightens his hand. And he's basically going to use his hand like to pile drive into her to rip out the litter. Right. And then Mulder bursts in and he's got his gun and there's more of a scuffle. And he manages to get a cuff around Toom's wrist and then like Toom pushes him off and like breaks the bathroom window, which has like these bars around it. But we know like that doesn't matter to him because he can like squeeze through these weird tiny spaces. But then Scully manages to get a hold of the handcuffs and handcuffs him to the bathtub because she's got like an old fashioned bathtub with like the pipes and everything that come out of it. So right. And then he just like starts growling and shit. Right. And And I'm kind of like. If he can squeeze through really small spaces, how come he can't get his hand out of the handcuff? Right. Well, my, my, I was thinking about that too, but then like, then they both have guns on him. Right. So maybe at that point it's like, he's he could, just like, but yeah, so why bother? Because the minute he yeah. tries to slip out of that, he's going to get shot. And we don't know if he can survive bullets. Probably not. Nope. So, and then the next thing we see is we see Detective Briggs in his, in his apartment. He's reading the newspaper. And like tis- tisking about some headline on the front. And then he flips to page two. And on page two, there's a small article that the serial killer has been captured with a picture of tombs. And he starts to tear up because he's so like, finally, we got him. Right. And it's got to be weird, too, because the dude looks exactly the same age. And like when he shows the photo to Mulder, he's like, well, that was him 30 years ago. Like, clearly, yeah. he's not going to look like that now. And he looks exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, cause I don't think they share the idea that the dude is like 100 and something years old with Briggs. Right. I mean, it, may, it may be implied. They're just like, we're working on a similar case. Here's a picture of the guy that was him 30 years ago. So if he looks like your guy 30 years older, like they never say like, that's the same guy. So Briggs is starting to tear up it's like joy and also probably some, you know, why did it have to happen kind of thing. And then we cut back to uh, the paper again, but it's being torn in half. Yeah, torn in half and licked because two yeah. licking the newspaper and balling it up and throwing it towards the wall and making another nest. Yeah, he's got quite the nest going on in his cell. So he's actually in a cell. It's Saying it's a cell is weird. It's basically he's in a just in a room. Well, it's like, like a cell, but it's not one with bars. It's no, like I a guess, I guess maybe like, cell that wouldn't. Yeah, have like maybe bars. like a solitary confinement cell, maybe because like it's, there's no windows, no nothing. It's just all solid walls, right? With a solid door, with one exception. But first, Scully and Mulder are watching him, and Mulder's like, "Wow, he's got a good nest going. That's weird. I mean, not weird, but that's like." gross and that's what he's doing is doing his thing and scully says that they ran some genetic tests on him and he does have some weird anomalies with like his muscle tissue and his bones and their ability to kind of morph in ways that most people's would not and then they leave well Mulder talks about like all these people putting you know bars on their doors and windows to protect themselves and having fancy alarms and doesn't make any difference for this guy so yeah he can just get through it so creepy and then they leave, and then some guy all in white at the prison, he's got a tray of food, brings it, opens up the slot in the door, slides the food in, and then closes the slot. Right. And then the last shot is just Toom staring at that tiny little slot. Mm-hmm. And obviously we know what he's thinking, which is that he can probably find a way to squeeze through it. He's probably thinking... The dude just put my dinner through the slot and now it's gone. 
Yeah, so that was the other I was gonna mention that. Like so the dude puts this tray of like gross looking cafeteria food on this like you know, and there's like a little thing to hold it. And then it cuts to Tombs looking at the thing and there's no tray of food. Like it has no. vanished. Yeah, completely. he's just looking at the slot. So yeah. And I'm sure that's like partially because it makes a better shot to not have this weird tray of food in the way. Right. But also it was really kind of like, well, where did the food go? He clearly didn't get up and eat it. Yeah. <laughs> I also wonder why that slot is made of like frosted glass instead of being like metal, like I'm assuming the door is made of. Like, why does it have right. to be frosted glass? Because that would be like, you know, a point of weakness if you had to, if you were trying to break out. But just good visuals. It's all for the shot. Yeah. Which is why, undoubtedly, which is why the trade of food is gone because right. you get him looking at it from the inside and you can see that like frosted white light coming through the slot just to highlight the fact that there is a small rectangular space. You got to wonder though, that's a very small space. And so maybe he's thinking like, it's going to take some work, but I think I can get through that. Right. Yeah. It does look a little too small for him to squeeze through, but the whole point is that he can squeeze through very tiny spaces. So maybe yeah. either way, it doesn't make me feel secure. Yeah. He's definitely going to have to compress his skull in order for him to get through there. But yeah. And we're done. And that's the episode. We get the end credits. We do, on this episode, get the 1013 Productions. Oh, yeah. I made this. Oh, yeah. Which is, this is the first time it appears. It was not. I had to go back and double check. Because when it came, when, when that went through, because I watched all the credits and that ended, I'm like, oh, my God, that's right. I made this. Yeah. And I was like, wait, that didn't that wasn't there on the Deep Throat episode. And I went back and watched it. It doesn't. The Deep Throat ends and just cuts the, to the 20th Century Fox. This, it ends, we get the 1013, I made this, and then we get the 20th Century Fox. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So cool. We get another X-Files thing that gets burned into your brain that you may or may <laughs> not have forgotten about until you hear it, and you're like, oh my god, I made this. So, yeah. Yeah, this whole episode, I thought it was really good. And it definitely, I didn't remember a lot of the details surrounding it, but I did remember that scene of Skelly like in the bathroom fighting him and him coming through her vent. And I thought that was really creepy at the time. And it still is creepy, like as a woman, like the idea of like you're not safe in your own home is always creepy. But I remember as a kid, that really like haunted me. And so. And I will say also, in contrast to our discussion of Deep Throat last time, you found the scene with Mulder being abducted. Well, not abducted, but being like, well, abducted by the police. Right. right? We got to be careful when we say abducted because we're talking about UFO stuff sometimes in this. Aliens, right? <laughs> and so that scene really had an impression on you. Whereas I was like, I didn't like, I get it, but I didn't really feel the sense of peril, which I think was the word I was trying to find in that episode, but I couldn't. But the sense of peril that something was going to happen to him because like, He's the star. Nothing's going to happen to him, right? Right. Whereas I know nothing's going to happen to Scully as well, but there was more a sense of peril and dread, I think, in those scenes than I felt with the scenes with Mulder. You know, so maybe it's my built-in paternalism of me being a dude and some, you know, the woman needs help. I don't know. But I definitely felt more peril watching Scully fight tombs than I did Mulder being captured by police and injected with stuff. Right. Well, and it comes but. down to like, if the scene's intense enough, even though you know they're going to be fine, there is kind of that, not suspension of disbelief so much as like, you just sort of lose yourself in it a little more. 
and you might forget that, oh, I know they're going to be okay, but like, it's just intense enough that you don't really think about that. And I thought this was way more intense. Like it was much more of an intense struggle. And Yeah. Well, and also, like I mentioned early on too, I like this episode, I think is a much better continuation of the pilot. Yeah. Than Deep Throat. It's got, it's got that same, like, I guess like cinematic feel, even though it's a TV episode. And again, it may also be because, like I said, like I'm a huge fan of the Night Stalker and Night Strangler movies. Not really a fan of the, the Kolchek TV series, but those those first two TV movies, I'm a big fan of those. And this one hits a lot of those cinematic cues that I think the Kolchek Night Stalker movie definitely gets. It's got that 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 the darkness, and again, we've got like you know we've got murders happening, so there's that kind of theme. But then, just like I said, a lot of that stuff, like you know, the eyes the sense of dread when you know someone's about to get murdered, but they don't know they're about to get murdered. Like, where's the person going to pop out of that kind of thing? Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah, definitely, creepy. definitely a very good episode. Yeah. I thought so too. I thought it was really good. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And I just, I still like just the fact that Mulder gets like, he gets crapped on a lot. Like, <laughs> Yeah. From all sides. Like people are just not nice to him. And I love how his reaction to that is just to kind of mess with them a little bit and just kind of do his thing. He's like, screw it. Like, whatever. Yeah. And I de- I think that's probably another reason why I think I think it it's a better continuation of the pilot. Because like in the pilot we get the fact that like, you know, he's spooky molder, like sends Scully to like help discredit what he's doing so we can get rid of it. We also get mention of a uh, of why Blevins has him in the basement, right? Oh, right. And so we get a we get a call back to that, and just like that story of like you know, like he's kind of like the outsider, and everyone basically shits on him, but he's like still like really good at his job. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- and I think I think we get that reinforcement from the pilot more so than we get in Deep Throat. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's a pretty so, solid episode. And I love Monster of the Week stuff, too. Like, I think that's Yeah, I think great. probably from my recollection, I mean, I know there are some Myth Arc episodes that I remember liking, but I seem to remember, like, the Monster of the Week ones being, like, the better episodes. From what I, and again, you know, I kind of stopped partway through season two. So, base that on a very small data set. Right. Those are usually my favorite, too, though. Like, I... I like series stuff and I don't have a problem with like arcs and I don't have a problem with episodes that like feed into those and that's their main focus. But I do tend to prefer the monster of the week stories. And I think we're going to get a lot of those in a row. So I'm kind of excited about that. Cool. There was one thing that I was going to mention, but we were kind of in a, it was like right when we started, we were kind of in a role that I just, I had to chuckle when I saw it on screen. So in the very opening scene where Georgie, George Usher, is leaving the restaurant or wherever he was coming from. He walks past the restaurant and the address of the restaurant is 1066 and it's called Hastings. And I just thought that was funny because, you know, look up the Battle of Hastings. Oh. 1066. And apparently that scene was filmed on Hastings Street in Vancouver. Okay. So it's one of those things where like, and and that kind of happens here in Portland too. There's some locations where they take the address and the street name and make it like a little, you know, in this case, not necessarily a pun, but they kind of use that to their advantage. So like this is, I don't know if that's a real sign or if they made, if they made that, 
But if it's not a real sign, then someone is missing an opportunity because if your address is 1066 and you're on Hastings Street, why are you not referencing the Battle of Hastings? So, right. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. So, all right. We're three episodes in. Yeah. We're getting there. Yes, we I, are. I think we're kind of figuring out what we're doing. And I do have to, like, we kind of implicitly talked about this. It's probably something maybe we should explicitly, because I think this does come up later in the series. I could be wrong. And and Scully kind of voices this, and we talked about it, where she's on the side of the victim. And Mulder cares about solving the cases, right? I mean, he does care about, like, finding the truth, right? And yes. And uncovering the stuff that people are hiding. But there's that there's that conflict here of, like, solving the case versus improving your career and getting like those closed case counts on your resume. And, you know, so like Scully and Mulder are more interested in like finding the truth because the truth is what's going to, I mean, you, you can't really help the victim except to find the truth and like put the perpetrator behind bars. Get them justice. Because right. They're, you know, and that's what Scully's out for. Whereas a lot of the people who are giving Mulder shit are more interested in moving their career up and getting like the good credit and not like rocking the boat, not willing to acknowledge, maybe not be willing to accept some of Mulder's stuff because accepting some of Mulder's ideas are going to taint their career. Right. So we do get some of that. And they don't want to get like his weird stink on them. Like they don't want to think anyone to think that they give him credit. So instead of being mistaken for working with Mulder, like he's a person, they make sure to distance themselves by being huge jackasses. Yeah. And just caring more about their career. Right. In a way. So. Yeah. It definitely sets Mulder and Scully apart, which I like. Because they're obviously, even though Scully doesn't always believe Mulder's theories and she's very skeptical of like the supernatural and the paranormal, she at least is there to solve the case and to figure out what's going on. Yeah. And she's the true, like she... I mean, we're only three episodes in, but like saying someone is skeptical has kind of become a like a derogatory term. Yeah, that's true. To some people. But she is like the true like skeptic. Like she needs evidence. Right. But she is willing to acknowledge like, okay, I think you're insane, but let's follow through with this. Right. Which I think is that's what most true skeptics are. They're people who are skeptical like i'm pretty skeptical i don't really believe that aliens are visiting us maybe they are and apparently the government is willing to be like "Mm, maybe maybe we know stuff um and i wouldn't be like surprised it's one of those things where i just haven't seen the evidence that that is happening that doesn't mean that if someone came up to me or if i saw it with my own eyes or someone had like really solid convincing evidence i wouldn't even give it a thought i would definitely look into it or maybe even believe it because once you have enough evidence if you're open-minded, you can change your point of view, which is a good thing. And Scully's definitely yeah. on that end of the spectrum. She's not like, no, none of this is true. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's the key thing, is that like when you're presented with new evidence, you're willing to change the conclusion you right. come to. Right, and Scully and is not... definitely willing. Cool. All right. Yeah, I will say, speaking of investigations, and I know we're getting ready to talk about our research stuff, there is one thing that I've noticed, and there wasn't really anything from this episode that I had an issue with, But there's some stuff, and I kind of mentioned this a little bit, but there were some things that I didn't mention previously because there were a couple things. Like I talked about like in the last episode, like the Ellen's Air Force Base. And like I read one thing where they said, oh, they got that name from 
Nellis Air Force Base, right? And just kind of like reworked it because Ellen's Nellis works. And then another site was like, oh, no, he got that name from Chris Carter's girlfriend. It's like, well, those could both exist, right? But then I also read about Deep Throat episode, which we know was filmed in August, that when they pull their guns in the first scene, when they pull their guns on the kids, right, when they're chasing them down the field, that David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson needed to be trained on how to use guns because they'd never handled firearms before. Oh, wow. It's like, well, they did in the pilot and they did in this episode, which was filmed before it. So, like, that can't be true. Right. Well, and that's why I think it's important to just kind of mention where we're getting information because, like, yeah. I'm not an X-Files expert. I wasn't there. I have books. I've ordered a couple of books, actually. There's one that's, like, behind the scenes of the X-Files that I just ordered that I'm excited to get. But, like, obviously, I'm not going to Chris Carter or people on no. the production team and interviewing them. So this is all second, third hand. And I don't, you know, I'm just reading what I read. And if this, if Brian Lowry says something happened, I'm like, he probably knows. Yeah, stuff like that. That's more, <laughs> but I'm, I was thinking more like the Wikipedia stuff, like, like that oh, yeah. thing. It's like, I read that and I'm like, well, that can't be true because right. they, had, they had guns in the pilot. And then after when we went to this episode, I looked up the stuff and I'm like, and this episode was filmed before Deep Throat. So obviously that's not a true statement. Right. And, and then like in all the Wikipedia descriptions, both the, the fandom X-Files wiki and on Wikipedia itself, when it talks about Colonel Budahas being like huddled in the in the opening scene, they all say he's huddled in the corner of his bathroom. He's clearly not in his bathroom. There's like a wood floor and like a Persian carpet, and he's like in the bedroom. And there's like oh, a fo- is he? and there's like a photo. It was funny because I was looking at the, the the fandom wiki page, and it says like he's huddled in his bathroom. And then almost right next to that is a picture of him huddled on the floor, and you can see there's like an end table. And like wood floor and a carpet, huh. and you're like he's in the bedroom or like you know some room upstairs. So it's just like those little things, I think. Which is are... funny because I definitely thought it was the bathroom when I watched it. Yeah. So I wonder. If you like actually said piece... you actually said bathroom in the episode, but I didn't want to. Yeah, because jerk and I think... you. No, I mean it's fine. I I definitely thought it was the bathroom, and that's what that was my takeaway from watching it. So I maybe just from the angle or whatever, it just kind of looks yeah. like a bathroom. I'm assuming it's like the, it was like their bedroom. But I mean, it could right. have been any room. It's, it was a lo- it was a yeah. large house. So, about it. yeah, I just I don't know. I'm just kind of like nitpicky about that kind of stuff, right? That's so, fine. Again, we're in the in the nitpick section of the episode, right? And I don't think anyone's gonna be like. I mean, someone might be like, "Oh God, you guys got it wrong. He was in the bedroom," and that's fine. Like, I'm not, I'm not an expert. I mean, I'm watching the show. <laughs> yeah, that's all I'm doing. So I don't know. I'm gonna get stuff wrong. I'm sure. Yeah, that was just me being again nitpicky so so where do we do our research this time um so this time pretty much my only source was the truth is out there the un- or the official guide. i keep wanting to say the unofficial guide because i have the unofficial guide oh. but the unofficial guide was written by someone else and there wasn't most of the unofficial guide stuff is like the story behind it or the inspiration and this one just talked about like fingerprinting and the history of fingerprint technology. <laughs> so it didn't really have like a lot of like inspiration for the episode. So I didn't really mm-hmm. use that. So, um, yeah, but just the truth is out there by Brian Lowry, which is the official guide. And then I also looked at Wikipedia just to get some details. Okay. Yeah. I mean, again, I watched the episode. I looked at Wikipedia and then I also looked at the fandom X-Files wiki page because in my in my lazy researching, that's the only site that I've actually been able to find the uh, production dates 
which, which again, I'm going to have to assume are correct. Right. This is also the site that told me he was in the bathroom, not in the bedroom. But well, I think they're pulling that stuff uh, like a lot from the books that I have. And so (laughs) I think a lot of that information is all coming from kind of the same place. So if it was wrong in one place, it's probably going to be wrong in like a lot of other places. But so, yeah, so I use Wikipedia and the uh, fandom X-Files wiki page and my own eyeballs watching the episode. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) All right. So I guess we'll do the end credits then. All right. Sounds good. I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded in the spacious Black Cat Studios, which is really just a bedroom closet and where Nick forgot to plug in his mic today. Oh, no. Episode production, editing, and mixing is by Lazy End Productions. Our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz, and the truth is what we make of it by the Agrarians. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review to help us improve the podcast and reach more listeners. You can find us at anchor.fm slash I want to rewatch or wherever fine podcasts are found. Or simply head over to I want to rewatch.com. Feel free to reach out to us on Twitter. We are at rewatch X files and on Instagram where I want to rewatch. You can also email us at I want to rewatch at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at anchor.fm slash I want to rewatch. And you can do that just by clicking on the message button. And you can always share this podcast with a friend. If they like the X-Files, we'd be happy to have them join us. Speaking of which, be sure to join us next time as we rewatch episode four, Conduit. And try to figure out if if the the truth truth is still out there. had the same viewership as Deep Throat. I'm sorry. I probably should have said, I've been saying something every time. And then you say it. I'm, like, I'm just going to sit here. I'm not going to say a word. I'm totally helpful. No, that's fine. Okay, we'll, 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 do, we'll, do, we'll do it again. All right.